Last season, millions tuned into the Betrayal podcast to hear a shocking story of deception. I'm Andrea Gunning, and now we're sharing an all-new story of betrayal. Ashley Litton was helping her husband set up a business Venmo account when she discovered a terrible secret. I saw a hidden folder, and I opened it. What the hell did I just see? Listen to season two of Betrayal on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On Queen Charlotte, the official podcast, we're stepping behind the scenes and the drawing boards of this team to experience the life breathed into the Bridgerton prequel. Listen to the leaps executive producer and series director Tom Verica took to capture the feeling that puts that lump in your throat. And you've got to catch creator Shonda Rhimes. She's dropping gems, diamonds, and mics. You can listen to Queen Charlotte, the official podcast, every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to your favorite shows. The thing that I'm most nosy about is other people's finances. I just want to ask people, how much money do you make? And what have you figured out about money that the rest of us haven't? I'm Maya Lau, and this is Other People's Pockets, the show where I ask people about their money. Because salary transparency is important, and because we can all learn something from other people's financial mistakes and money hacks. Other People's Pockets is a co-production of Pushkin Industries and Little Everywhere. Listen to Other People's Pockets on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check out the Your Financial Maven podcast, where we need to change the way we think about money, our understanding of it, and the effects. I'm Samantha Mittman-Besnoff, CPA, and I have spent over 25 years in the accounting field. The Your Financial Maven podcast will touch on things like saving and budgeting and really anything around money to help you feel financially empowered. Listen to the Your Financial Maven podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and how the tech are you? It's time for the tech news for Tuesday, May 30th, 2023. NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huang spoke at the Computex Forum in Taiwan yesterday and said something that I'm sure has a lot of programmers anxious. Huang said that due to how quickly generative AI evolves, we're entering into an era in which essentially anyone can be a programmer. It won't require you to have studied computer languages or even computer science. All it will take is a sufficiently sophisticated AI model to take your prompts and then turn that into a well-designed program. Huang unveiled a platform called the DGXGH200, essentially a supercomputing pro platform. Uh, it's designed to help build the next generation of generative AI models. This actually reminds me of the fictional supercomputer Deep Thought in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy books, which explained that it was not sufficiently powerful enough to provide the question to life, the universe, and everything. It gave us the answer, but not the question. However, it was powerful enough to build a computer that could do that. That seems to be what this is indicating. It's a supercomputer meant to build better AI. Anyway, Huang's keynote seemed to indicate that not too long from now, you won't need a background in programming in order to be a programmer, or at least that's how the articles covering his keynote seem to frame it. 
I'd like to think that generative AI will help programmers and help them be more productive and more efficient, and that AI will give them the tools to build code that contains fewer errors or to check for mistakes as they're coding, that kind of thing. So in other words, my hope is that this isn't a step toward invalidating an entire career path or, and and this is really the cynical part of me. I hope it's not an attempt to justify hiring relatively unskilled employees at a much lower salary than what it would cost to bring on a qualified programmer, right? That's the, the fear is that if you've dedicated your time and energy, you know, you pursued an education in computer science and computer programming, and you've built the skill set that would normally guarantee you a chance of landing a lucrative career in the field you love. And then you find out, oh, no, you're overqualified. We just need someone who can talk to this computer and make the thing that we want. That's not good. So my hope is that a lot of the the news that covered this uh, was doing so in a way that was perhaps not reflective of what Wong was actually saying. I say that because I didn't get a chance to actually watch his keynote. So I'm not certain how he worded it. I can only react to the way it's been reported. Reuters reports that Deep Media, which is a company that works to identify and track the proliferation of deepfake videos and other deepfake content online, has indicated that there's been a pretty significant jump in the number of instances of of deepfakes this past year. So according to Deep Media, there are three times as many deepfake videos circulating this year as there there were in the same span of time back in 2022. And there are eight times as many deepfake voice recordings and deepfake voice examples. Uh, I'm not sure how many examples we're talking about with that, because keep in mind, this all depends on how many were circulating in 2022. They just said it's eight times as many. So if only one deepfake voice recording had popped up in 2022, that would just mean that there were eight that popped up this year. So the details matter. This is also, by the way, when you hear about really the growth of any business, but specifically within technology, when you hear that growth is being expressed in percentages, you really need to say, all right, but what are the actual numbers? Because if the actual numbers are very low, a huge percentage in growth still can mean a pretty low number, right? That's important. Anyway, Deep Media uh, estimates that by the end of this year, there will be around half a million deepfake videos and voice recordings that will be shared across social media. And as you probably suspect, a lot of those will likely center around politics and misinformation. As the deepfake generators become more sophisticated, it can be a challenge for a normal human type person to tell the difference between real videos and deepfake videos. There are often indicators that you might be able to tell if you're looking on a large enough screen at a high enough resolution. But if you're like watching little videos on your phone, you might not notice. Uh, There are detection tools that are more effective for spotting really good deepfakes out there. But you can imagine the damage that can be done with this type of technology, particularly for people who are already predisposed to believe certain ideologies. If there's a video that seems to reinforce that ideology, they may not take the time to question the authenticity of that video. Uh, Various companies in the generative AI space have been working on different approaches to mitigate 
this issue to prevent the misuse of the technology. But these guardrails are nowhere close to being comprehensive or fully effective. Already, there have been a few cases in which folks in the political sphere, I shall not name name names, but some prominent people in politics have shared deep fake videos, sometimes with like a half-hearted disclaimer of something along the lines of, I don't know if this is real or not. So just a side note, if you don't know if it's real, just don't share it. But, you know, no, I get it. You know, the folks who share this kind of stuff, typically they don't really care if it's real or not. They're just looking for the effect. I mean, if it's real, it's better, but it doesn't really matter because they're just looking to stir up a a group of people. So it doesn't really matter if it's real. All I can say is that the use of critical thinking is more important than ever. That employing critical thinking also takes work. You have to be actively working and engaging critical thinking. You can't just, you know, lean back and and rely upon it to kick in because goodness knows I've been guilty of being too lazy to use it in the past. It's happened to me. I talk about critical thinking all the time, but I'm also guilty of not employing it on occasion. I have to think about it. I have to actively do it. And we all need to try harder because it's getting tricky to tell the difference between fact and fiction. There are a lot of tools out there and a lot of bad actors out there that collectively can start to push false narratives and to trick us. And uh, it's across the spectrum. It's not like it's just one group doing this. There are lots of different people with different motivations doing the same sort of stuff, and we have to be on the lookout for it. And now for a piece about the consequences of relying on generative AI. So a lawyer named Stephen Schwartz apparently used ChatGPT while doing some legal research on a case that he was working. ChatGPT provided some background research that Schwartz apparently then used in filing this case. But there was a truly huge problem. ChatGPT cited other legal cases in order to provide support for Schwartz's legal argument, except those cases weren't real. They had never happened. ChatGPT created, or if you want to use the parlance of the AI times, it hallucinated these cases. And I've talked about AI hallucinations not too long ago on this very show. You know, how generative AI models are essentially using a complicated statistical model to generate responses. And this model draws on a lot of archived information, but sometimes it just invents stuff. It essentially is saying, what word would most likely follow this word? Then you get a response that sounds perfectly cromulent, as the Simpsons would say, but is in fact hogwash or jibber jabber or balderdash or just plain fake. And as you might imagine, presenting fake court cases as if they are a legitimate precedent to your own case is not looked upon kindly by the court. If you claim a precedent, then you should expect the court to look into the precedent to make sure that what you're saying is accurate. And when the court did do that, when they double-checked Schwartz's filings, they found that the numerous cases Schwartz presented, as suggested by ChatGPT, didn't actually exist. And when pressed, Schwartz said he was not aware that ChatGPT could just invent stuff. He assumed that everything that ChatGPT presented came from actual real information that had been stored somewhere. 
Now the judge has ordered a hearing a few weeks from now to quote unquote, discuss potential sanctions. Woof. So on the one hand, yeah, absolutely. Uh, It would be unthinkable to let people submit fake evidence to support their arguments and then receive no repercussions afterward. On the other hand, I mean, the hype around chat GPT and other generative AI models is absolutely painting an inaccurate picture of what they can do. Though, honestly, it really doesn't take that much work to find out that these AI systems are flawed. It's just that I could understand why someone would put too much stock in chat GPT's performance because of the way it has been hyped. Uh, Again, it really doesn't take that much work to find where the, the problems are. So I can't give Schwartz a pass here. I could just say I could understand why he would think, oh, this is a valid tool for me to use and there shouldn't be any problems. I can kind of understand that. But if he had taken even just a little bit of effort, he would have seen that perhaps relying so heavily on chat GPT without, you know, fact checking it would have been foolish. Okay, we've got a lot more news to cover. Before we get to that, let's take a quick break. What's a game where no one wins? The waiting game. When it comes to hiring, don't wait for great talent to find you. Find them first with Indeed. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed's hiring platform helps you easily schedule and conduct virtual interviews all in one place. Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful matching tools that find you matched candidates fast. On Indeed, over 85% of employers find quality candidates whose resume matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data CA. Start hiring now with a $100 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash techstuff. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $100 credit now at Indeed.com slash techstuff. Terms and conditions apply. Last season, millions tuned into the Betrayal podcast to hear a shocking story of deception. I'm Andrea Gunning, and now we're sharing an all-new story of betrayal. Ashley Litton was helping her husband set up a business Venmo account when she discovered a terrible secret. I scrolled down, and that's when I saw a hidden folder, and I opened it. What the hell did I just see? I was scared that he was coming home. What Ashley discovered that day was a secret so dark, she feared for her life. She was like, oh my God, I gotta get out of the house. He's gonna find out that I've seen this, he's gonna come kill me. Listen to season two of Betrayal on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're looking for someone to help you unpack Queen Charlotte of Bridgerton's story, you're in the right place. It's me, Gabby Collins. Come with me, because on Queen Charlotte, the official podcast, we're stepping behind the scenes and the drawing boards of this team to experience the life breathed into the Bridgerton prequel. Listen to the leaps executive producer and series director Tom Verica took to capture the feeling that's put that lump in your throat. And you've got to catch creator Shonda Rhimes. She's dropping gems, diamonds, and mics 
On this podcast, we're going beyond the basic line of questioning and getting to the heart of the show, all while appreciating the contributions of the show's creative teams and remarkable cast. Go inside each episode of Queen Charlotte of Bridgerton's story with the creatives, the cast, and creator Shonda Rhimes leading the way. Listen to Queen Charlotte, the official podcast, Thursdays on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcasts. The thing that I'm most nosy about is other people's finances. I just want to ask people, how much money do you make? And what have you figured out about money that the rest of us haven't? I'm Maya Lau, and this is Other People's Pockets, the show where I ask people about their money because salary transparency is important and because we can all learn something from other people's financial mistakes and money hacks. On this show, we talk about money in actual dollar amounts. Like, how much does a Hollywood writer make? How does an elite scientist wind up unhoused? What's it like to make it as a big-time journalist and then lose practically everything? I talk to my guests about how they were raised, how they deal with their money anxieties, and of course, what's in their bank accounts. So get your pay stubs out. Other People's Pockets is a co-production of Pushkin Industries and Little Everywhere. Listen to Other People's Pockets on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we're back and we've got another open letter. Actually, just a a short warning from various AI experts about the potential dangers of AI. It is very short. It is to the point. I'll actually read the whole thing because it isn't long. Quote, mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal scale risks such as pandemics and nuclear war. End quote. That is it. That's the, the warning. Putting AI on the same level as things like like pandemics and nuclear war as a potential threat to the human race. Uh, A lot of high profile AI experts have already signed their names to the statement. That includes Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, who's been sending some kind of mixed messages about AI regulation in the United States versus in the EU. And then uh, the CEO of Google's DeepMind added their signature to it, among other experts. So in other words, this warning has the backing of some very influential, educated and knowledgeable people who are in the field of AI. Of course, that's assuming that the signatures are legit because we did have a case not that long ago where there was a an open letter warning about AI that contained signatures from people who subsequently said they never signed it or even heard about it. So assuming that this is all legit, it sounds like we should really pay attention, right? I mean, these are people who are working in that field. That being said, I actually worry that some folks are going to interpret this as meaning AI is on the verge of becoming super intelligent and you know self-aware or something. As I mentioned earlier, generative AI leans on statistics and training to create stuff. It's not thinking in the same way that humans do. And I worry that if people interpret it otherwise then folks will be focusing on trying to solve the wrong problem. AI definitely has the potential to cause harm. Don't get me wrong. AI is potentially very harmful, but it doesn't need to be, you know, brainiac in order to be harmful. We can just look at the instances of vehicles that have been operating in autonomous modes that subsequently got involved in fatal car accidents. That proves AI can be harmful and it doesn't need to be super intelligent to do so. So I guess what I'm saying is 
I believe that this warning is warranted. I do think AI poses a threat and that we need to have rules and regulations and approaches to AI that are responsible and are least likely to cause harm. But, you know, it's it's trying to figure out how to do that uh, by framing the problem correctly. That's going to be a big challenge, right? You need to make sure that you understand what the actual problem is and not conflate it with something like superintelligence uh, in order to create the proper framework to actually rectify the issue. Uh, and in fact, like the people behind the statement said that the whole goal of making something short and blunt was to avoid issues of perhaps suggesting an approach that then would just devolve into an argument over the best way forward. But on the flip side, I would argue, well, yeah, but if, if we're not suggesting approaches, then what good is the warning? Like it's obviously we're not going to stop developing AI. I mean, even the people who signed this warning are actively promoting and developing AI right now. There's like an AI arms race going on in the world of computer science. So if is it just so that you can fall back and say, well, I know we blew up the world, but we warned you <laughs> back in 2023. I don't I don't know. Maybe I just am a little too uh, cynical about how these experts are, are viewing the dangers of AI without any actual solutions to address the problem. Moving on from AI, Japan's space administration, JAXA, is working with private companies in Japan to do something pretty ambitious. So the plan is to launch solar collecting satellites into space as early as 2025. And these satellites will collect solar energy, convert that energy into microwave beams, and then beam that energy down to receiving stations here on Earth, which is entirely feasible. Uh, questions remain regarding how much energy these satellites will be able to collect and transmit. But the point of this project is to explore whether or not we can make solar collection in space and microwave transmission a part of a larger renewable energy strategy. For a country like Japan that might have limited space for things like uh, terrestrial solar arrays, this could have a lot of appeal. I mean, it all depends on how large the receiving station has to be. I would imagine it has to be quite big so that you're not having a super concentrated beam of microwave energy. But it's neat. like. If you can get this to work and become a supplemental part of your energy strategy, then it could be really useful, especially since with the positioning of satellites, if you have a whole network out there, uh, you can be collecting solar energy 24-7. So, and weather will never be an issue. I mean, solar weather could potentially be an issue if you have like a coronal mass ejection or something like that. But you know, terrestrial weather wouldn't be an issue. So a lot of the complaints around solar, the fact that you know, you're only collecting when it's daytime and only when you have a clear view of the sun, that ends up being negated. But you still have questions of, all right, well, how efficient is this going to be? How much energy are you going to lose converting from solar to microwave? You know, how much is lost in the transmission? These are all questions that need to be answered as well. But this is a cool step toward answering those questions. Will it pan out? I don't know. I hope it does, um, though. Obviously, it also opens up other things that you have to consider, like uh, the potential for more space junk. Right. So there's always other things you have to bring into the equation. 
but I think it's a, a cool project. Now, over this past weekend, I actually went to the amusement park Six Flags Over Georgia for the first time in many, many years. And I have to say, the park has digitized a lot of operations since the last time I went there. But at a couple of other Six Flags parks, not at Georgia, but a couple of other ones, one in California and one in New Jersey, that digitization is ramping up a bit. And that's because those two parks have partnered with Amazon and Coca-Cola to incorporate one of Amazon's grab-and-go cashierless uh, shop concepts into the parks. Uh, so just as you would in one of Amazon's operated stores, you would be able to walk into one of these places, pick up a product, and then stroll right out. And you would be billed automatically through the Amazon system on the back end. So products will include stuff like Coca-Cola products, just as you would imagine, plus like snacks and other stuff like the New Jersey location says it will include necessities like sunblock and rain ponchos, that kind of thing. And it's interesting to hear that the parks are actually doing this because Amazon has actually shut down several of its own locations. I think like eight total in cities like New York and Seattle. Uh, however, it wouldn't surprise me if the plan all along was to attract partners like Six Flags, where Amazon can serve as the back-end operations, but someone else is in charge of, you know, restocking and cleaning the place and that kind of thing. Over the weekend, Toyota entered a hydrogen-powered racing car into an endurance race in Japan. The company said it looked at the race as a sort of testing ground for the technology and an opportunity to uncover areas of improvement that wouldn't necessarily pop up in a laboratory setting, which is understandable, right? Like in a lab, you can test technology quite a bit and see where there may be areas that you need to focus on to fix things. But it's not until you really get something out in the real world and really put to the test that that some problems will become evident. And let me tell you, an endurance race, a 24 hour endurance race, that's a heck of a test for a technology. Toyota has actually been working on hydrogen fueled cars for a while and in fact has even fielded hydrogen fueled cars in various races. But the big difference in this most recent vehicle is that the car was using liquid hydrogen rather than gaseous hydrogen. Now, liquid hydrogen comes with a whole bunch of challenges, like you have to keep the hydrogen at a very low temperature to keep it liquid. But it also means that you end up with a, a higher energy density fuel, right? Because liquid hydrogen packs more energy per you know volume than gaseous hydrogen does which is an important consideration for an endurance race. You know, you want to have a, a fuel or an energy rich fuel, I should say. I couldn't find any information on how well it performed. The race happened just this past weekend, but I did see a lot of articles saying, you know, it did it. It didn't tell me how well it did. Uh, critics have long argued that Toyota has been dragging its feet on developing electric vehicles. Obviously, that's where the automotive industry is really shifting toward. And as a result, because Toyota did not jump onto that particular approach, it is now lagging behind competitors as it tries to make up for lost ground. Toyota, however, has long argued that it's going to take longer to transition to pure electric vehicles than most people expect. And as a result, in order to bring down carbon emissions while also transitioning to electric vehicles, 
Toyota has said we need to uh, invest in alternatives to just pure electric vehicles. This has been Toyota's message for years and years you know, with fuel cell vehicles, hydrogen powered vehicles, various hybrids, that kind of thing. There are critics who say that Toyota has made the wrong call, that the company is just trying to justify its approach to a, a different branch of, of vehicle development and that it's it's kind of like it's it's sort of a sunk cost fallacy. It's gone so far that it can't come back. Although the new leadership at Toyota has been a bit more pro EV side than previous uh, leadership has. Uh, it's interesting. It's there's a lot of challenges that are associated with hydrogen based vehicles, including how to harvest pure hydrogen without using too much energy in the process. You may know hydrogen is the most plentiful element in our universe, but it binds with stuff, which means in order to get hydrogen, we frequently need to expel energy to break those molecular bonds to harvest pure hydrogen. And if you are spending more energy to separate the hydrogen from stuff, then you're getting out of the hydrogen itself then you're at working at a net loss and you may need to just reevaluate what you're doing. It may turn out that there's a different thing you can do where you're, you just eliminate that step and you're wasting less energy. Uh, I'll have to do another episode in the near future to kind of go down the list of pros and cons of things like a, a hydrogen based economy. Um, a few decades ago, that was a really big thing, at least in, in rhetoric in the United States, and we haven't really seen it uh, mature and and turn into a real technology here in the U.S. And I thought it might be a good idea to kind of do a follow up and talk about what are those pros and cons, and is it really a viable approach and a viable alternative to your traditional internal combustion engines? Keeping in mind, a hydrogen-based car also uses combustion. It's just when you are, you know when hydrogen goes through combustion, you're not getting the same byproducts as you would if you were burning gasoline. Okay. I've got a couple more things I want to talk about, but before we get to those, let's take one more quick break. Last season, millions tuned into the betrayal podcast to hear a shocking story of deception. I'm Andrea Gunning, and now we're sharing an all new story of betrayal. Ashley Litton was helping her husband set up a business Venmo account when she discovered a terrible secret. I scrolled down, and that's when I saw a hidden folder, and I opened it. What the hell did I just see? I was scared that he was coming home. What Ashley discovered that day was a secret so dark, she feared for her life. She was like, oh my God, I got to get out of the house. He's going to find out that I've seen this. He's going to come kill me. Listen to season two of Betrayal on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're looking for someone to help you unpack Queen Charlotte of Bridgerton's story, you're in the right place. It's me, Gabby Collins. Come with me, because on Queen Charlotte, the official podcast, we're stepping behind the scenes and the drawing boards of this team. 
to experience the life breathed into the Bridgerton prequel. Listen to the leaps executive producer and series director Tom Verica took to capture the feeling that's put that lump in your throat. And you've got to catch creator Shonda Rhimes. She's dropping gems, diamonds, and mics. On this podcast, we're going beyond the basic line of questioning and getting to the heart of the show, all while appreciating the contributions of the show's creative teams and remarkable cast. Go inside each episode of Queen Charlotte of Bridgerton's story with the creatives, the cast, and creator Shonda Rhimes leading the way. Listen to Queen Charlotte, the official podcast, Thursdays on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcasts. The thing that I'm most nosy about is other people's finances. I just want to ask people, how much money do you make? And what have you figured out about money that the rest of us haven't? I'm Maya Lau, and this is Other People's Pockets, the show where I ask people about their money because salary transparency is important and because we can all learn something from other people's financial mistakes and money hacks. On this show, we talk about money in actual dollar amounts. Like, how much does a Hollywood writer make? How does an elite scientist wind up unhoused? What's it like to make it as a big-time journalist and then lose practically everything? I talk to my guests about how they were raised, how they deal with their money anxieties, and of course, what's in their bank accounts. So get your pay stubs out. Other People's Pockets is a co-production of Pushkin Industries and Little Everywhere. Listen to Other People's Pockets on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check out the Your Financial Maven podcast, where we need to change the way we think about money, our understanding of it, and the effects. I'm Samantha Mittman-Besnoff, CPA, and I've spent over 25 years in the accounting field. The Your Financial Maven podcast will touch on all things related to money to help you feel financially empowered. You'll hear from guests all about how money is a tool and the importance of knowing your money what is money and I love what you had to say money's a tool yeah just like younger years of course I always thought of it like you know as what can it allow me to do like you know right. money and I want to travel and just it was more focused about like doing fun things and like I never really thought early enough in life in terms of like what can I use money for listen to the your financial maven podcast on the iHeartRadio app apple podcast or wherever you get your podcasts We're back. So, the United States is not the only country planning to put people on the moon again. So, NASA obviously has Project Artemis. Uh, Artemis 1, which was a, a test flight of the uh, the spacecraft and the launch vehicle, that's already happened. So, Artemis 1 was a success. Uh, Artemis 2 will see a crew of astronauts launch off Earth and then circle around the back side of the moon, not the dark side, because there's the dark side changes, but the back side, the far side of the moon, and then return to Earth. They are not actually going to touch down. And then Artemis 3 is the uh, mission where astronauts would land on the moon again. That one currently is projected for 2025. I'll be shocked if we make that goal. But meanwhile, China's manned space agency announced that it plans to land Chinese astronauts on the moon by 2030. 
To accomplish that goal, the agency is developing a new launch vehicle and a new spacecraft. Again, that's a really aggressive goal if the the launch vehicle and the spacecraft are still in development. It's it often can take a very long time to get that kind of stuff buttoned up. Also, it will be interesting to see if lunar real estate becomes the next big land grab. Uh, you know, there there are obviously space treaties that are meant to prevent such things, but uh, I would be shocked if we don't see some rather aggressive moves to claim lunar landscape for various purposes. So we'll keep an eye on that too. I, I can't wait for it to become some sort of Heinlein novel. All right, now. We're toward the end of the episode, and occasionally I like to end episodes with some suggested reading material for y'all. So rather than go through all of this as a news item, I thought I would talk about a few articles, three of them in particular, that I think are worth your time to read. Also, these articles tend to fall more into investigative journalism or interesting experiences and less on the news side. First up, is an article in Ars Technica, by Dan Gooden. Ars Technica, phenomenal resource. If you are not visiting Ars Technica on the reg to, to read up on their journalism and tech, uh, you need to change that because Ars Technica is a, an, a fantastic resource. The article I'm referencing is called Inner Workings Revealed for Predator, the Android Malware That Exploited Five Zero Days. So zero day being a, an exploit that the uh, the company that's behind the software is unaware of and that is in there from the very beginning. And you can just, if you find out about it, you can exploit it to your heart's content until someone notices what's going on. So the article details a dramatic story about how companies specializing in a double whammy of discovering and exploiting vulnerabilities, as well as turning mobile phones into remote surveillance devices are making an awful lot of money selling those tools to very dangerous customers who then employ the technology to target perceived threats. We've seen this story play out in other areas as well. Uh, there was obviously the the case of the Israeli tech company that was selling uh, uh, an exploit for iOS systems that took advantage of a, a vulnerability in iMessage. Very similar case. And this article goes over something like that, but one that affected Android devices as well. Highly recommended. CNBC has an article titled Chinese apps remain hugely popular in the U.S. despite efforts to ban TikTok. And this one touches on some stuff that I have mentioned on Tech Stuff in the past. Namely, TikTok represents a very high profile example of a problem that actually goes well beyond TikTok. And perhaps it might be better to take a step back to consider whether or not TikTok is kind of standing in as a scapegoat for a much bigger problem. And it's a problem that even expands beyond the possibility of a country like China harvesting all this information, because obviously we've got all these other huge companies that are in the United States that are also harvesting information and that maybe. <laughs> The problem isn't just with who is getting it, but the fact that it's being done full stop. The piece also points out something that a lot of others have been saying for a while, that uh, 
a lot of the TikTok suspicion is being fueled by companies, primarily Meta, that would stand to benefit tremendously if TikTok were to go away. So knowing that Meta has a vested interest in TikTok dying helps kind of put all this into context as well. That's another reason why TikTok is so prominent in this discussion, because you've got companies that have a lot of money that are very eager to support the narrative that TikTok is a danger. That's not to say that TikTok's not a danger. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's like, let's do a laser focus on this one instance and ignore the larger problem that remains unaddressed as long as we're only focusing on TikTok. Finally, the third article I want to recommend is by Maxwell Strachan. And my apologies for that pronunciation of your name, Maxwell. I'm sure I butchered it. But Maxwell has a piece on Motherboard titled, I asked ChatGPT to control my life and it immediately fell apart. Now, this is a pretty amusing story about Maxwell experimenting with ChatGPT to create, you know, a daily schedule. Like Maxwell just highlighted the things that he needed to do and wanted to do and gave it to ChatGPT to tell him how to do it. And, um, it highlights a few interesting things, including how OpenAI is trying to build in guardrails to prevent bad stuff from happening, or at least to prevent the optics from going bad. So like ChatGPT saying, hey, autonomy is really important and you shouldn't just hand it over to someone, which, you know, may or may not have been a legitimate and, and um, earnest statement. All the way to how ChatGPT has trouble meeting all of Maxwell's daily goals reasonably. If you've played The Sims, you know how frustrating it is. There just aren't enough hours in the day to do everything you need to do, plus everything you want to do. Turns out AI has that same sort of problem. So yes, I recommend those three articles. Check those out. All right, that's it for the news for Tuesday, May 30th, 2023. I hope you are all well. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, it's Jonathan Strickland. If you want to learn how to improve your productivity and make the most of your time, there's a new book coming out by Idakin Tonk, founder and CEO of Jotform. It's called Automate Your Busy Work, Do Less, Achieve More, and Save Your Brain for the Big Stuff. It's a must-read for every entrepreneur, business leader, freelancer, or anyone who feels like they just don't have enough hours in the day. Learn how to achieve more by doing less. Visit AutomateYourBusyWork.com and get a discount when you pre-order today. That's AutomateYourBusyWork.com. Last season, millions tuned into the Betrayal podcast to hear a shocking story of deception. I'm Andrea Gunning, and now we're sharing an all-new story of betrayal. Ashley Litton was helping her husband set up a business Venmo account when she discovered a terrible secret. I saw a hidden folder, and I opened it. What the hell did I just see? Listen to season two of Betrayal on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
on Queen Charlotte, the official podcast. We're stepping behind the scenes and the drawing boards of this team to experience the life breathed into the Bridgerton prequel. Listen to the leaps executive producer and series director Tom Verica took to capture the feeling that puts that lump in your throat. And you've got to catch creator Shonda Rhimes. She's dropping gems, diamonds, and mics. You can listen to Queen Charlotte, the official podcast, every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to your favorite shows.